0: How now, brown cow?
1: I haven't had time to set up these sound pad things yet, but they're pretty entertaining anyway. You can do things like this. <laughs> they have some that you just press, and it's just like it's just a, a one-shot sound like, like that, and you can change the volume. But they also have ones where it just goes as long as you hold it down.
0: Like, is there a sensor button? Yeah, there, there's... Like you can do applause
1: and and it can continue as long as you want it to. And then we let off of it. It stops. It's also got the sweet intro music. Let's try this one. I mean, no, just no, I don't think we just use that. Uh -uh. Why even, why even load our own sound? It's It's so bad. (laughs) That's gonna be fun to mess with later.
0: I'm trying to find this thing. There's a reason I posted this tweet in here to talk about,
1: Oh, is this the astro astrophotography thing?
0: Right. Okay, I think I found it. So I saw this on Twitter, and this is a picture of the moon that somebody took. And they took this by taking, like, thousands of multiple exposures with a telescope and then stitching it together into this, you know, insane high-resolution photo of the moon. That's pretty cool. And the conversation as it went down in the thread was like, oh, wow, this is cool. But what if you used a higher megapixel or like a bigger sensor or something in order to capture this? Then you'd have even more detail. And the response was um, something along the lines of that they get more detail with the smaller sensor because of how they have to reframe it and the upscaling and stuff. They can't really do more than like two megapixels at a time.
1: Oh, like it's like a computer power
0: limitation, something like that. Uh, no, it's more of like a telescope and a diffraction problem, oh. and so like because of the way that you know diffraction resolution is, and like how they have to upscale it, it's like they have to use a small sensor and they have to use um, a small resolution. And if they tried to shoot like APS-C or full frame at you know, 24 megapixels or 48 megapixels, it basically would fall apart. Interesting. And so I thought it was kind of an interesting read as far as like how they did this super detailed shot of the moon and all the little mini pictures that they took in order to stitch together, but they had to use like lower resolution and this sort of thing.
1: Huh. Yeah. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah. It kind of feeds into this other interesting thing that I wanted to talk about. Mm. Are you familiar with silicon imaging? Not
1: really. Tell me about them.
0: Okay. So they used to make... I guess they're still around, but they used to make digital cameras. Okay. The main thing with what they did and their main camera, like the only camera they made was a cinema camera and it was the SI2K and it was a 2K, you know, like one of the first, you know, circa 2005, 2008 digital cinema cameras. And their whole deal was like, here's the sensor. And then we're going to run off the, off of that, the sensor module, just like the raw digital film, whatever, like raw Raw footage off of this straight sensor data, and we're going to feed this into the camera body, and then the camera is going to have like an Intel Core two Duo processor that does all of the raw processing to take your whatever digital negative and then create you know here's the look to feed out to the monitors, but then it's saving the raw footage mm. uh, to the drive you know in the in the camera. Well, that, that so sounds like, a little familiar. Yeah, and so like you have raw footage, but then you have this you know look that's applied like a LUT or something. Yeah, out to the monitor. But they did this all with an Intel CPU, and they made it so that you could, instead of running it to the camera body, you could take that, whether or Ethernet or whatever it was, output, and run it to any Intel computer <laughs> and run their software on it. And what I learned recently was that for the movie Slumdog Millionaire, in order to like get a lot of the on-the-ground shots for that movie where they wanted to be like less intrusive, mm-hmm. they built a custom backpack with a MacBook Pro in it. <laughs> And then they used, like, the little sensor module and the lens and a gimbal for, like, you know, here's the camera piece. Yeah. And they ran that to the backpack oh, to this computer. Cool. <laughs> and then that's how they filmed it. So they had this guy with, like, the computer backpack on that's basically the brain of the camera and the lens and everything. And then uh, they, they stress tested it in a sauna. And they found out like, um, oh, these things are just gonna shut down. And so what they had to do is they had to pack it with dry ice <laughs> in the backpack <laughs> in order to keep the thing from overheating. And apparently they used like forty five pounds of dry ice oh a day while they were shooting in this like <laughs> super insane setup. <laughs> And I
1: love it. So they wanted wanted something inconspicuous. So they have this backpack and it's smoking
0: because dry ice is in it. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Get down, get down. No, no, he's fine. He's fine. (laughs) So I just, I thought that was absolutely insane. I love crazy, you know, like, oh, we're going to film this thing. So we got to rig a red Komodo to a drone or we got to build a custom, you know, PC camera rig with dry ice. I love stuff like that. So.
1: Well, and that just sounds cool because it's kind of like way ahead of its time. I mean, mm-hmm. I said it sounded familiar because it sounds just like the Ronin 4D with it, the with the little like flex cable thing. And, and we also know about like raw recording, recording SSDs and all that. And this was like the first version of that stuff. So that's mm-hmm. really
0: cool. Yeah, it's really interesting to see where it's coming. It, it does feel like if this was reshot today, they could just use like the, the Ronin 4DS and like it would be exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that was pretty cool. It I is. went to, uh, you know, Silicon Imaging's website, which still exists, but I couldn't view all the content because I don't have a Macromedia Flash Player. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess it tells you how old it is.
0: Yeah. So I don't, th- and uh I think you sent me a link to one of these things that you could buy for like less than a thousand bucks. Yeah. Eight
1: hundred dollars on eBay, yeah. man. Get on I'm it. I'm
0: just, I'm really into, I'm really into this whole like strap a Mac to a to a sensor uh, camera rigging solutions, and yeah. I think we need more of that on the market.
1: Didn't you find a, a shoulder rig that a guy did where he like he literally has a Mac Mini on the shoulder rig? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> it's too good. <laughs>
1: I love it. People complain about that shoulder rig I built, and they're like, it's too heavy. And it's like, at least it doesn't have a MacBook <laughs> on it. Come on.
0: <laughs> so complaining. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was really cool. I didn't realize they went to that, that those kind of extents, man. It's so much, so much is like crazy BTS stuff with movies. I don't, I don't think it gets enough attention.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You just imagine that everything's like really clinical and like it's just a camera yeah, on a tripod yeah, or it's like a camera.
0: They did this shot. And it's like, no, yeah. this person was standing on their head. <laughs> Or like whenever they do all those crazy stunts and the camera's following somebody. Yeah. You're like, that guy did, someone else did that, but with a hundred pounds of gear. (laughs) (laughs) Not even impressive yet. (laughs) You see the people
1: like flying on wires across scenes and stuff while holding the camera. It's
0: nuts. Mm -hmm. I'm just so cool. Really impressive. So
1: you need to get on that level. Working on it. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video. All right. Well, let's talk about some serious topics today. So, as we all know, Sony cameras, as we record this, Sony Camera Camp is happening right now.
0: Why aren't you there?
1: I don't know. They didn't. I guess. I think our invites got lost in the email. Must have happened. We we should we should really be checking our spam filters because you know, we probably missed out on that.
0: Oh but yeah, no look, it's right here. Yep, definitely missed it. No man, that's now now I feel bad. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh woof.
1: So Lucas, what do you think they're talking about at Sony Camera Camp?
0: Well, I mean, it's a bit early for camp, so they're probably not talking about like. How sunny it is, or how hot it is. They are in San Diego, I mean, though. They're in San Diego, California. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. man. They probably are talking about how good uh, the weather is. Just a lot of that. Maybe a little bit of like, oh, man, Sony's the best. Oh, I just love Sony cameras so much. Just like that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That, that sounds about right. Yep. That's why we're both jealous that we don't get to go to Sony. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, mean that's, that's this
0: podcast. Sony, so. Sony guest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually the first time we've ever said Sony cast. Oh, yeah. I would never betray our Nikon fan base like that. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of Nikon, Sony released a new camera this week.
1: They did. The Sony ZV-E1.
0: Okay. So we had rumors of this before it dropped. And we went through some of those rumors and talked about it. And I mean, like before we even get into the specs, which is probably it's not even worth like recapping rumors here, but I was looking like looking back at the rumors, it's like Oh, it's gonna have the same sensor as the, uh, you know, the A7S 3 and it's gonna shoot 4K60, and not have any pixel binning, and no, you know, record limits, and it's gonna be like twenty two hundred dollars. And like, I, you look at this announcement, and you're like, well, the ZV is their low end camera line, and so like, they have the whatever the point and shoot, point and shoot, the fixed lens ZV one, yeah, and then they have the ZVE10, which is interchangeable APS C one. So it's like. Sure, maybe they been do like a full frame version, I guess. Maybe it's like a better version of the Z B E ten. But like for twenty two hundred dollars and like the, s- the same sensor as their thirty five hundred like it didn't mean it made no sense. The, yeah, the rumors
1: didn't make any sense. Yeah. And yet somehow that's exactly what we got. It's
0: literally exactly and, what was rumored.
1: <laughs> and somehow it makes sense. So yeah. Yeah, no, what's up sh- with that?
0: it's just it, I I've been having trouble scoring that like all week because you and I talked about the rumors a lot and I mean like I look at it and I go, This isn't right. Something here is wrong. Maybe they mean like the sensor from a different camera. Like I just, yeah. what, but no, here we are. Here's a, it's a $2,200 like YouTuber create camera. And I think what makes this camera make sense is all of the, all of the software features. It's like, if you look at the specs and you look at the price, it's like, why does this camera exist? Who's it for? But then you see like everything that they did. And it's like, here's a, here's a full frame, decent video focused hybrid camera Yep. that anyone can use.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how they brought all that together. I want to talk a lot about the software stuff, but let's do a quick spec rundown just in case anybody's listening to this and hasn't heard everything about this camera.
0: Yeah, yeah that sounds good. I mean, the, the software is is the main, the main drive and feature of this. That, and I guess maybe like the sensor you get for the price. Okay, so specs just real quick it's about f- almost 500 grams it's a really small camera sony's saying this is the smallest full frame camera with ibis that you can get so it's like it's it's a little bigger than like the sigma fp mm-hmm, but so, smaller
1: than the a7c
0: but it's smaller than a7c and so for size comparison it is it's like a what was what was that xc XT, XT, it's not XT, XE xe 4 oh right thank one. you geez okay It's about the same size as an X-E4 or like an X-T30 if you like crop the top off.
1: Which are, which those are, those are APS-C cameras. You know,
0: roughly maybe the same size, a little smaller than like an A6000, A6400. Probably smaller. If you've ever used any like micro four-third cameras, like the GX85, GX7, GX9 series, it's basically the same size as those, just a slightly bigger grip. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is, it is small. It's like micro four-third small, Mm -hmm. which, and so pretty incredible, they're cramming, A full frame sensor into a camera that small so very small very light no no electronic viewfinder it's back screen only which i feel like for the audience for this makes total sense i don't think we're really missing that at all it does have in-body stabilization it has the same sensor and i don't think sony has said this but from like model numbers and all the talk around this camera it's it's the same sensor as the A 7s S three and the FX three, which and, is a, and that
1: and that seems to prove out in terms like like image quality and stuff. It seems to have similar performance to those cameras, right? And
0: whenever you run it through like the dual base ISO, and so that second second base kicks in at um, whatever twelve thousand one hundred, yeah. And so it has really really good low light. Uh, it is it is a twelve point one, and that's like four thousand something by mm. three 000, two thousand something, like forty. 400 by 2,800. It comes out to 12.1. Yeah. And that is a quad bear sensor. And they don't, do like a 48 megapixel capture or anything off of this quad bear sensor. And like Sony doesn't really advertise the fact that it's quad bear, but it is. And I think whenever we get into like some of the software features of this camera, I think that's why they can do a lot of the stuff they do. Mm, okay. And like to shortcut that, like it has a zoom. We're still talking about hardware inspects, right? So it has a zoom and wide uh you know lever on it right in front yeah, of the shutter. For like button. a power zoom type. Thing. Yeah, for like a power zoom, but you can use that for digital zoom mm. where you can bring it from you know 1x to 1.5x, and you can do that in 4K but 4K from the resolution which is like 3840 by um, 2160 if you do like the width it's, it's only like a 1.1 that you can actually crop in on that sensor before you have to start digitally cropping uh, and so there from all the reviews and all the images and stuff we've seen off this camera the 1.5x zoom doesn't look like it's cropped in much interesting like it doesn't does don't want to look like you're losing resolution Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's probably due to the fact that this is a quad bear sensor. Interesting. Okay. All right. So cool. back, back back to the sporks. Uh, as far as like button layout and that sort of thing, it's basically everything that you're getting out of Sony camera. It doesn't have like a mode wheel uh, because this thing is really more of like a shoot and auto type thing. But like you have three custom buttons, you have a menu mode, you mm-hmm. know, all that normal, basically anything you see on like, a, like an A7 IV yeah. is going to have all those buttons except for the mode dial.
1: Yep headphone and mic jack.
0: Yeah, mic jack is kind of and our headphone jack is kind of cool. Usually things that we're seeing in this price range in this I mean not this price range. Ha, huh, in this size class, uh they're getting rid of that headphone jack. So they give it to you. That's really cool. And then it's got like a back jog wheel and a back thumb wheel, but no no front, no front wheel. Yeah. So you only get two wheels instead of three. Yep. Uh one UHS-2 card. Uh it has the hot shoe piece on the the whatever the multi-active hot shoe thing that Sony does. So you can use it with their their handles that, you know, have the mic inputs and yeah. all that.
1: And speaking of the mic, it has an interesting situation with the mic where the built-in mic on the top of the camera seems like you can you can set it to either bias toward the front, the back, or omnidirectional. So that's kind of a cool and feature. And it
0: will also do it automatically. You mm-hmm. can have it yeah. automatically decide which way it's going to favor. So it acts like a cardioid mic, but it is omnidirectional, mm-hmm. and it can just mute in one way or the other. And the on-camera mic is actually pretty decent on this. It's a little better than what you would typically see. That's and so, what I was
1: gonna say. It's like most of the time we're saying you should never use the on camera mic, but right. with this one it seems like they've maybe put enough thought into it that it's worth using for casual stuff.
0: Yeah, and I haven't done enough like cross comparison, but I would imagine this is probably maybe similar or a little worse than something you'd get out of like a, a deity duo or something like that. Yeah,
1: that's that's what I'd expect.
0: And uh and it comes with, like a little cute little dead cat that you can like pin to the top. Yeah. And so yeah, it can... looks like it looks like hair on top of the camera. <laughs> It does. I love that little thing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's style it maybe. I mean that this camera is kind of built to you know with like all of these features the sensor that they have in it and all the capability it's like just bring this one camera you don't need to rig it it's just like it's ready to go it's ready to capture yeah so that's i think that's everything with the specs uh micro hdmi because it's so small i wouldn't expect to see full size on this thing though it is kind of a bummer and comes in white yeah that's huge yeah you could yeah, pair this feature. with a uh, with one of those Viltrox uh, anamorphic lenses or cine lenses, mm-hmm. which would weigh three times as much as yes. the camera, and you would have to hold the cam hold the lens instead of the camera.
1: <laughs> but could totally do it. Uh-huh. Let's talk uh, one more spec thing before we get into our thoughts on this, and that would be recording modes. I mean, what what are we getting here? Is this is this
0: nerfed in some way, or is it? Like- no, I mean, it looks like it has everything that you normally would want out of a Sony for the recording modes. Like we talked a couple episodes back about how much I'm mad about like the stuff that we've done with an a7 III and how you're kind of capped out on data rates and like it just it's 8-bit and, it, and it does, you can't push it around at all this has 10 all the 10-bit sony stuff you can shoot in 422 10-bit you can shoot in HEVC, HEVC or H264. you can shoot an in all-intra or long GOP so like you can do 422 10-bit all-intra which is like a 600 megabit per second codec yeah it's so like you can get the good stuff and you can do it in s cine tone or you can shoot an S Log 3S gamut 3 Cine or you can load in your own LUTs and set them as a picture profile. And so you can shoot an S Log 3S gamut 3 Cine to your own LUT mm-hmm. so you can see it and it bakes it in and you don't have to grade it in post. Yep. And Waz, what's his name off YouTube did he did a whole video on like he got some of the footage from this and then he he pushed it like crazy. He ran through a LUT and like really moved the colors around and it holds up. So like, That's good. this really is the, this is the footage and the codecs and stuff that we're getting out of like that new 10-bit Sony stuff that you can get out of the a7S III, um, the AR, a7R5, all you know, the newer cameras. It has, it has that footage, it has the good footage.
1: Yeah. And I mean, all this stuff like that, that being one big thing and everything else you've talked about, this is just such a different camera than the previous ZV cameras because those cameras you know you're talking like $750, $800 and they're they're clearly like entry level vlog type cameras for you know people that don't want to spend too much. And then you've got this thing where it's $2200, still has that ZV name, still seems like it's pointed at that vlog market, but this is a really capable camera. I mean, in a lot of ways it can do the same things the A7S3 can do and it's 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 weird to see.
0: Well, like they didn't they didn't cut anything out, which is kind of crazy because it feels like The people that this camera are for are people who are just not like into all the detail of cameras. Yeah. You can, you, you know, set your frame rate and like set, you can manually set all your settings and do everything that you normally would do with your, you know, Sony camera if you were like kind of shooting more pro, whatever. But it feels like all of the features and the way that they designed this camera was meant that you can just set it in auto and then like let the camera deal with it. Yeah. And because they took all of these features from the a7R5 and all of those AI processing stuff and the auto modes, it apparently it's like really, really good at it. And so it's like, you have all these great video features from the a7S 3 and then all of these super functional AI, um, you know, auto, whatever features that you, it's literally like a point and shoot video camera yeah. that actually takes good video.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess even before talking about the AI stuff, I was glad to see that, it has the good foundation. You know, like it's got yep. the good sensor, it's got all the codecs and stuff, and you're not really compromising much on that.
0: And they're not limiting you in any way. Like you could come into this and not know much of anything about video. Maybe you don't even know like what a 180 degree shutter rule is. And like you could get this and you're going to get good footage. And then as you grow and like learn more about, you know, oh, now I want to try learning how to use log and I want to go get into color grading or I want to try these different effects or try, you know, different cooler lenses or whatever. All of those features are there. This camera yep. would absolutely grow with you. Yeah. And so like, it's really cool as far as like this thing can address like super beginners all the way up to people who have more advanced workflows. Yeah.
1: Good way to put it. So let's talk about some of those special features because I think that's that's really what makes this camera unique is some of, the, some of the software things they've done. So they talked about how they have an AI processor built into the camera, which sounds just like marketing nonsense to me. But then they started going through some of the features that this camera can do. And you know, we've looked at some reviews and seen some demonstrations of these things and there's some pretty cool stuff there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I guess a couple of things to touch on before we dive into that real quick. It has photo mode. You can shoot photos with it. Um 10 frames per second. It does raw H um H E I JPEG. Um so like you have your you know your 12 bit raw all, all it's that it's clearly
1: not made for doing photos. It's not but for you it, have the ability to
0: but it's there. They didn't get rid of it. Works. Uh, it can shoot up to 4K 60. It can shoot 120 frames per second, but not out of the box. And I think that has to do with like markets that they're selling it into. Uh, and it's so, like you have to pay a cost upgrade to unlock the firmware to shoot 120.
1: We think. I, they haven't released that firmware, so we don't know. Okay, but. so we don't know if it's
0: paid or not. Yeah. Is that
1: the question? I think that's right.
0: But it's probably going to be restricted based upon sales region yeah which is kind of weird but yeah eh. so those, those are just kind of worth noting
1: never never buy something based on promise of future features because right. you know, who knows
0: but like they're they're marketing this as a vlog camera so we're gonna be talking basically about video stuff almost this whole this whole segment yeah so uh right ai features things that they can do that are kind of cool is one is the scene recognition and it has all these different kind of scenes built in like you can say it'll do like product mode it'll do like backlit portrait um, you know, like animals, scenes as far as like, oh, this is a landscape, this is like a park or outside, inside, low light it has all these different scenes that are you know typical of Sony, but it it can you know try to automatically pick those scenes and then expose for it. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be pretty decent at it so that if you you don't really know that like you know how am I gonna expose like this shot in a car where like I have this really bright background and dark inside. You can kind of just let the camera figure it out.
1: And the product mode, I think, is you know something that we've seen some on other cameras, but mm-hmm. that's something that comes up a lot because you see people on YouTube holding things up to the camera and they're putting their hand in front of their face so the camera won't focus on their face. Right. And so stuff like that's handy. And
0: this one, like you just basically don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. And then it has these other features where, like we talked about the zoom, where it can zoom into 1.5 digitally yeah. without really too much perceived resolution loss but that's a
1: cool feature because we, we've used Sony cameras before that have a crop mode like that right. even the uh the fuji xh2s can do that you can press a button and have it crop in on the sensor a little bit but this one is unique in that it looks like a zoom where it's right where you you don't just crop in you have like a a smooth zoom into that thing and i thought that was a really cool feature yeah
0: it is pretty neat and but then like they use that where like you can have it go into 1.5 or even less and then like set a frame and then have it track you through a frame. So like it like you walk away, it zooms in, you walk closer, it zooms out. And like if you move within the frame, it will reframe around the sensor and like follow you kind of thing.
1: And it seemed like it worked really well. Like, yeah. In, in the tests I saw, it was actually holding people in the frame. And you could totally imagine uses for this where you just set your camera a little bit wide and then let it follow you around. I mean, that's super yeah.
0: cool. The tracking was extremely good. Yeah. Though it looks really weird. I don't know if you caught that, but like all of the videos that I watched where people were testing this feature, the motion in it looks very fake or digital. Yeah, it has like this strange like tracky, slow-mo-y trailing like they're like ghosting behind the mm. person whenever they move.
1: I think there are a lot of settings that you can change on it. Like in Gerald's video, he said that he thought the shutter speed was too low in his. Yeah. And I think that you can actually adjust things like the tracking speed. So maybe people just haven't really dialed in on it yet. Yeah, not not really
0: optimized yet. But like.
1: And, and it's never going to look exactly like having somebody on a tripod follow you because sure. you're not getting the parallax of like the scene moving, you know, behind right. the person. Like you're going to be able to tell that it's different, but it, it looks really good.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty impressive. Uh, another thing that they're doing is uh, you can have it automatically change your f-stop based upon the people in the scene. Yeah. And so if you if it's just one person, you can have it shooting at what like f 2.8 or f 1.8 or something. Then another person comes in and it recognizes the face, recognizes it's a person, and then it will adjust the f-stop, f-stop slowly. You know, not just like snap, 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 but it will basically like a um like a rolling iris and you know expand the frame so that you can see it. And like it'll try to it'll try to maintain exposure, so it doesn't look like you like stop changing too much. It's gonna you know adjust your ISO and everything as you're changing that f stop, and then just deepen your depth of field so you can see both people.
1: Mm -hmm. And you could imagine uses for that even for people that know what they're doing because it's always annoying if you're trying to get a shot and you're like, oh, hold on, sorry, I've got to change all these settings. And so it's it's cool that it can detect that. I mean, that's like
0: that's a killer vlog feature. Like if you're like out there. You know, holding the camera up and like talking to it and someone walks in the frame, you're like, oh, hey, it's this person. Yeah. In fact, the camera can just be like, boom, now everyone's in focus yeah. and you didn't have to think about it. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. It's really cool.
1: One other thing I wanted to mention on the framing feature. So we kind of talked about it as though it was a, you put the camera on a tripod and it, it follows them in the frame. But another use I saw for that was that you can be tracking somebody and you can use that framing feature to hold them in the center of the frame. So right. Basically, it's like tracking way better than you could right and and i was again thinking of that in like the vlog context where that's something you see a lot in vlogs you know somebody's like oh look at this person doing this thing and Mm -hmm. you know if the camera can just do that for you like that's going to help you catch that moment you're not having to say like oh hey can you go back and do that again to get the shot right it's just a lot of really helpful things like that
0: it's also you can use it for uh like slides and stuff like that where we didn't have any talk about stabilization but it has stabilization and then enhanced stabilization and then like this like super stabilization mode. But you could even use um, this like framing feature on top of the stabilization mode so that it's almost like an extra level of, mm. you know, digital stabilization where you've cropped in and you don't have to worry about the, what's happening outside that frame.
1: It seemed like that worked really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you can use it as like, a, like you can walk next to somebody and do like a panning shot mm-hmm. or a slide shot. Yeah. Well,
1: and even just being able to introduce zoom as part of stabilization is also... Like, that's making the stabilization better. Yeah. That's another, it's another axis that it can affect. And yeah, I mean, the stabilization on this camera looks incredible. It seemed like it was as good as like the S5 II.
0: I completely disagree. You think so? Yeah. I like, I saw Gerald Dundon's video and his test seemed pretty good but then when I watched like Potato Jet and Seredici and like two others it was I didn't think it was good mm, like they it depends like, on the situation. They did like the holding up and they did some like moving with it and okay. if the person wasn't like trying to hold it still it was really jittery huh. and really jarring still had a lot of the snapping stuff going on Okay, but like you still have that smart reframing feature and also you can what's what's that feature thing where like you can pull the metadata out and then feed it into something to and yeah, post it I know what
1: you mean yeah like you can save the gyro data yeah and, and like
0: if you can do those things and like you can get perfectly stable footage out of this camera Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's the silver bullet that some reviewers have been saying it is just from Uh, like the stuff that i've seen i wasn't that impressed i think that panasonic's still doing it better okay That's my opinion.
1: One thing, one feature they had that I was not really impressed with was the cinematic vlog feature, where basically it seemed like I don't I don't even know what this was doing. It seemed like it put it in a like a wider aspect ratio, some black bars, and it did something with the color profile. It didn't
0: just it didn't put it in a wider aspect ratio. It literally puts black bars on the footage. (laughs) It's not like it's cropping it down and it's giving you like an image in scope. It's literally putting black bars on a 16 by nine frame.
1: Really skeptical that it seems like the point is to make it so that you don't have to mess with picture profiles and all that. And you can get something that looks cinematic. But I don't I don't know that that one to me landed a little flat.
0: I am once again going to (laughs) disagree.
1: You think that (laughs) you you like those black bars? I think the the feature is
0: absolutely stupid. And that if I wanted to have like a cinematic video, I would shoot it with as much data as I could. And I would do all of that greedy stuff in post and make it look how I want to. But if I was shooting a vlog and I wanted to have like an over the top, like 30 second sequence in my vlog where it's like, you know, we're doing all the normal stuff and now we're in super cinematic mode. I would shoot in this cinematic mode, and then I don't have to put the black bars on post. It's a different color grade already, and all I have to do is bring it into like iMovie and slap a track underneath it. I guess it, it depends on what. And you... then move on. And so, like to me, I don't know. Like it has its place, and it's like if I was using this camera for what it feels like it's geared towards, which is it has all these automatic features. You can shoot everything really, really quick. You don't have to think about it, and then you're shooting it in a way that you don't have to do anything in post except for cut. You don't have to do any color grading or anything like that. You can just. You know, bring it in, cut it, deliver it. And if that's the workflow, I think the cinematic mode is kind of a stupid little fun gimmick that I would totally use.
1: I I hear what you're saying, but it also feels like you're saying you would use it ironically and I don't feel like they meant it
0: ironically. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I do think that this is basically Sony's attempt at film simulations. Because they're like, you can apply these preset looks to your footage, and that sure sounded a lot like Fuji. Simulations. Well, film I
0: mean, that's what, that's what S-Cinetone is. And I think yeah. that this cinematic mode is basically using S-Cinetone or something similar. Yeah. But, I mean, like, to that point, though, like, they are letting you load in all your own custom LUTs and set them to picture profiles. You can have your PP6 set yeah. to, you know, your, your Kodak Eastman LUT or whatever, and uh, just have that bake in. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know. So I'm questionable on that. It sounds like you you think you'd use it, but either way.
0: I'd have some fun with it. Yeah. yeah. Though I would rather that it deliver it at an actual scope instead <laughs> of putting black bars on yeah. top of it. That's kind of silly. Come
1: on, black bars. All right. any Anything else on the AI stuff?
0: Man, let me let me just do a quick run through on this feature. So it's got all the AI autofocus stuff, human detection, everything that we saw on the A7R5. It's got focus breathing compensation, I believe. It has the multi-face mode stuff and then you can also when doing multiple people you can pick a person and have it always favor that person or always lock on that person it's got the smart directional stuff it's got cinematic mode i mean i think we've covered a lot of what's really important about this which is that it has all these extra like auto modes and i think that the verge becca from the verge did a video and she was like i went out and i did a vlog and i just i set this thing in auto despite every all every bone in my body wanted me to not do that and i just i just recorded and her, the vlog turned out really good and her footage came out really good. Yeah. And I'm like, that feels like that's what this is. All this auto AI, whatever mm. stuff it is kind of built the, around.
1: delivers on the promise.
0: It does. Yeah. And looking at the buttons and looking at the layout on this camera, changing modes seems like it's kind of a pain because there's mm. not a mode dial. Yeah. You can just like flip the switch from video scene or photo. And so I guess like everything's in the touchscreen, which is maybe annoying or like you have to set it to custom buttons. This is supposed to be simpler for people, but like because of all these added AI modes, there's more menus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the problems with the camera and then maybe we can end by saying, you know, who we think it's for. Do we think it's something that people should be looking at buying? That sort of thing. So there were a couple of problems with this camera and like for me, with the type of filming I do, there are a couple of things that I felt like personally were deal breakers. One was that you really can't record for too long in some of these higher codecs just due to heat because this camera is so small and it doesn't have the cooling fan the FX3 has. It doesn't have like the thermal capacity of an A7S III. It seemed like 4K24 you could get you know basically the full battery life but some of those higher modes it was it was kind of struggling
0: you're fighting against having the smallest full frame camera and yeah. but if you're not shooting for more than 40 minutes at a time i think in like the worst case at you know at design temp like 104 degrees or whatever it it caps out at maybe like 35 or 40 minutes in like some of the higher heat producing modes and so like you're not shooting for more than 30 minutes it shouldn't be a problem.
1: I don't know though, because like, like, did you actually watch anything from anybody that was in temperatures like that? Well, Cause...
0: I know that Potato Jet stuck it in his incubator. Okay, and and that was pretty hot because when when but he I wa- wasn't he wasn't shooting in the like he was shooting in, like 4K 24 like the the mm-hmm. low low end mode. He wasn't shooting in like that the higher you know data consumption i know
1: when i when i watched gerald's video he was doing things at like 75 degrees yeah just room temperature and you know and like in 4k 60 and stuff it it was you know well under an hour i mean it's like 30 i feel like he's getting like 30 or 40 minutes yeah somewhere around
0: 35 42 for most of the modes and that seems fine
1: but my problem is well what if i'm shooting in 100 degree temps one thing that was interesting is he had a, a video that he shot at like 73 degrees and then he shot it at 75 degrees and it was like significantly less on the time.
0: Right. And yeah, it, I noticed it, that.
1: If that was making that much of a difference, I was just like, man, what's going to happen if it's 85, 95? Because sometimes we shoot in those environments.
0: Right. So. But then at the same time, Potato Jet got like 40 minutes at 104 degrees mm-hmm. in 4K24. Yeah. Long GOP, whatever, For. I guess like it, it comes down to like, what are you using it for? And that could be a deal breaker for a lot of people is, you know, you are heat constrained and no, I haven't seen anyone do like, uh and it's probably because we haven't had the camera long enough, do like tests where, so for instance, on like the, what was it? The R6 or was it the R5 where if you shoot a video and then it starts to overheat and shuts itself off, there's like a timer and it's like, okay, yeah. now you have enough, you have enough heat capacity, whatever, to record for four minutes. And then like, it's not like. You just like turn it off for five minutes and you turn it back on. It's like you have to wait. Yeah. So I don't know how long this thing, you know, when it shuts itself off, are you off for a good period of time or can you wait 10 mm-hmm. minutes and be ready to go? Yeah. Again?
1: Well, I'll have to check into that and see. But it's something I would think about because if, you, if you're if you often in situations where you want to be able to film for an hour, you know, if you're doing an interview or something, it's well, just the, something to think about.
0: Well, it's just a different, it's a different camera, right? It's like this is for, you know, vlogging and YouTube and like yeah. casual creation. If you're going into a thing where you're like, I need unlimited record time. Buy an FX thirty yeah. or something else. I mean, and you're gonna save five hundred dollars. Yeah. So it's there's there are cameras out there that meet that need, but I think that you know this pretty clearly. It was a size over over mm. performance, and that's the trade off you're making.
1: And I, I think it's the same with the viewfinder. That's another thing where this is a video camera and it can shoot photos, but. It seems, I mean, it seems very video oriented, not having a viewfinder would be kind of a bummer for photos.
0: Yeah. Like it just still, it comes back to, you know, what, who's it for? Yeah. And I think the people that are going to use this don't care. Yeah, ideally. right. But also, I feel like people that use this don't want to pay $2,200 for it. Yeah, that's another good point because they still got to buy a lens. Yep, which, what lens are you going to buy for this thing? You can get it with a kit lens, which is basically the same thing that comes on the ZV1, which is like a 28 to 60 f4 to f5.6 mm-hmm. lens, which on full frame, I'm not going to complain about it. That's fine-ish. It's an okay kit lens. But if you spend $2,200 on this camera... You're probably going to want an f2.8 or an f4 zoom. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do enough research and I'm not as familiar with like so the Sony stuff, but just thinking about it, like I can't think of a Sony lens that is a zoom that is less than the weight of this camera.
1: What I would do is get something like a 20 millimeter prime. Yeah, sure. Because you've got that clear image zoom thing. So you can, you know, crop in, get a little bit of zoom out of it. But then you're still getting a small yeah. lens, you know, good F stop, all that. That's 20, that's probably what I would do. Twenty
0: to thirty at one point eight. And yeah. then it's it's small, it's compact, it meets what it meets what you're doing.
1: Because mm-hmm. and if you're doing vlog stuff, a lot of what you're doing is at, at wide angle. You know, being able to zoom in is nice, of course, but like it's not really what you're doing. So
0: Yeah. I think that's probably where you go. I was looking at like what is the Sony like twenty four to seventy F4 option? And even that's you know, it's not small. Yeah, it's, it's not like you're shooting APS-C and can mm-hmm. get APS-C sized glass, and you can't use any of the cool small APS-C lenses that Sony and Sigma and Tamron all make. Like, yeah. I think that uh, 18 to 55 lens that Sigma makes at 2.8 would be great for this. Mm-hmm. Very small, very compact, and it's APS-C. Yep. And so, like, you could use that, but then you have to crop in. Yeah. Which I guess maybe it makes sense. It's decent and at high ISOs, so like that could work. And I, you know, if if that's your damn, but I don't know. It's, I think the lens pairing on this is kind of weird yeah. and I'm not sure what, what is like the perfect lens, mm-hmm. but it's gotta be out there, right? Like there are 1 million email lenses out
1: there. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the right one exists. So
0: I'll, yeah. I'm going to find it. I'm gonna find the right one. I'll let you know what to get.
1: Yeah. So with all this in mind, do you think this is a good camera for people that it's aimed at? Cause it seems like it's aimed at like that vlogger market, you know, casual shooters that don't know that much. I mean, it's gotta be people that want to get good footage if they're spending this much money, you know you're not it's not that you don't care. You just don't know that much about the technical stuff. You don't want to spend time on the technical stuff and maybe you're just getting started. You think this is a good camera.
0: It's a very interesting camera. I think if someone was new new to this world, I would say save the money and get the ZVE10. Uh, and like get the APS-C version. It's going to lack a lot of the AI features. So maybe like that's not a good reason. If you can afford the extra 1200 bucks. you know, the ZVE one could make sense. Yeah. The auto features are pretty good. And if you just want to like throw money at the problem, like I'm I'm running this channel. I just, I want good footage. I don't want to have to think about it. What can I just throw my money at and then be happy with it? This feels like that's it. Because everything else you're going to have to think about like, what am I setting my shutter speed to and like flipping the modes and like mm-hmm. and that's anything. Like if you were looking at, you know, an XH2 or S5 Mark II or, a, you know, anything else in the price range, like an a7 IV or or R6 Mark II, like any of that stuff. Yeah. It just becomes more complicated yep. than this, which is pff, set it in video and go. So I think that like if for someone who doesn't want to have to deal with the technical, they just throw money at it and be happy. But then I think there's another market for this, which is you are into cameras and you have like a a7r5 and you're like you're in it and you have all this sony gear already and you're just like i need a travel video camera and that can like maybe take quick photos you know when i need to but i don't really need to like compose it i just want something that's super small that i can put in any bag and that can shoot like really good video so i can mix it into yeah. everything else i think this this works for that like if i was in the sony ecosystem I would consider this. Mm-hmm. I would consider this as an augment to my quote unquote bigger camera.
1: Especially because it, it can shoot all those high codecs and stuff. So if you're doing a bigger shoot, you can use it as a B cam effectively.
0: Yeah, you could. And then it also has the ability of like, you don't, you just don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. You can turn it on and have it record video and know that like the exposure triangle is probably going to be good. It's going to get things in focus. And I really don't have to like go out of my way to make sure that yeah. all my settings are right. Yeah. And it'll, it'll just do it. Yeah. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I think I, I came up with another market that I think this is good for, and that's that we've talked a lot about like, what if you're an individual buying a camera? But I think there are some cases where there's like an organization or a company that has a need to create content. You know, they need to make training videos or you know, whatever, for whatever reason, they need to make videos and they have budget to buy equipment for that. And maybe they even have somebody that can run a camera, but they really want like an average person at that company or organization. Oh my to be gosh, to pick that would it up, be huge. Make something. I think this is perfect for that because it's a good quality camera. The end result going to be good. But with the things like the smart reframing and all the auto stuff, like anybody's going to be able to grab that camera, set it up on a tripod and film something that's right. going to look good.
0: But like in like all the auto modes, it'll be able to get decent up the field and like you don't have to know the terms. You can just say like, I mm-hmm. want blurry background mode. Yeah. And like it'll see the faces. It'll get all of that right it is the it's the A7S3 sensor and so you can shoot you can not know anything about lighting yep. basically and just like oh we're going to set this up indoors and oh wow at you know ISO 12,800 it just jumps to the next yeah. clean clean stop i mean you're going to be able to get they're going to get better footage than mm-hmm. they would have if they just you know used an iPhone like significantly better footage
1: i think that's going to be one of the major markets for this camera i didn't
0: even think about it i mean like you you don't have a skilled person on staff but you need to do a lot of marketing videos or mm-hmm. and, you know Social, yeah, which it doesn't have a vertical mode. I feel like that was a huge, huge miss. Like, how can you (laughs) not take this stupid thing, turn it sideways, have it recognize that it's sideways, and shoot vertical video? Yeah, or is it they've got to be adding that? Or does it have it where like you can shoot it like in normal and then it'll shoot vertical on the screen but in horizontal but crop it
1: weird? They they have to have thought about that. Yeah, have to.
0: I don't like, come on, yeah, every single project (laughs) that we've signed up to do this year so far is like. Can you also deliver it in a uh, 9x16, please? Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can. I sure can.
1: <laughs> anyway, all that said, this is a pretty unique camera. Uh, I'm curious to see how it's going to work out. It is expensive, which I think is going to be the biggest problem they have. But I think there's some some very valid use cases for this. And I just like that they're pushing things forward. This, this yep. does things that no other camera does. And it's cool to see that.
0: Yeah, so I guess it's like if you need those automatic features, then like, You're just going to go into this, and like now you're in the Sony world, and there's a lot of other great cameras that you can, like, you know, build into that system and grow from there. But if you're looking for a good video camera, I feel like there's a lot of better stuff for cheaper. Like, I would say an FX30, the Lumix S5 Mark II, maybe even like the XH2. Like, the only one of those that I listed that was full frame was the A7 or the um, Lumix S5 Mark II, but still, I feel like a lot of those cameras are cheaper. And maybe a little more feature rich, mm-hmm. especially the Lumix one. And so I don't think this is like the best camera for everybody. It's not like the Certainly be all not. end all. Yeah. But if it's like you you need auto modes and you price isn't an object and you want to get into Sony <laughs> and you want full frame, <laughs> yep. There's nothing else that competes. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Pretty cool camera.
0: Yeah. Really cool. Speaking of cool, I want to talk about one more one more new product that is. uh Maybe even cooler than this. This is the um, Luminarc automatically adjustable diffusion thing, and so it's this it's this like rectangular panel that you shoot your light through, and then you can you know the, like the, the that fogging glass stuff where yeah. like it's like turns fog and then turns clear based mm-hmm. on like electrical current through it. Right. It basically does that, and you can adjust the diffusion. Oh, that's cool. Using then. using like so like, you point your light through it, and then you can like tweak your diffusion. And then you can buy them in like 24 by 36 or 40 by 40.
1: That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was
0: stinking neat.
1: Yeah. Pretty- so let, let's think through some, some caveats here. So first off, why not just have an adjustable light and adjust the brightness of the light?
0: Because you want to adjust the softness of the light. <laughs> it's not about the brightness. Oh, okay. It's about the softness.
1: Okay. So there's a difference there. Next question. Do you think this affects the CRA?
0: Well, a lot of it, yeah. I mean, it has to. Anything, Anytime you run the light through something else, it's going to affect the color ray and it's going to affect the brightness, and all that sort of thing. Um, according to this, I know you asked about CRI, but as far as brightness, at 100%, you're getting 79% pass-through of oh, light. Okay. Mm-hmm. And at 1%, you're getting 92% of pass-through of light. Interesting. So, you know, it's going to cut your light power through the diffusion by up to a quarter but like that's what you expect whenever you're running through some sort of diffusion. yeah you don't material.
1: expect it to be perfect obviously 100 like, mm-hmm. percent would be no diffusion it's pretty interesting
0: yeah i think it's kind of cool i mean it's I don't know. In most cases, I'm like, all the diffusion or none of the diffusion. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a point where I'm like, this light is too soft. Maybe we need to be less soft. Yeah. But I guess if, like, you're in a situation where you just want to set everything up, like you got this, you know, studio A roll shot or whatever, and or maybe, like, you're rigging it out and you don't quite know exactly what you need and you want to build a mod, you know, adjust it on the fly, this could be a lot easier.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. It's really expensive.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, almost... $2,000 or something like that.
1: Yeah, more than that. And I like the, well, the 24 by 36 is a little under 2000 The 40 by 40 is 3168 It's really high. Yeah. So,
0: not cheap. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a pro level thing. But but it's also something that hasn't really exists before. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, same. That's so neat, kind of cool. It's a separate another thing you have to power. Yeah, which is probably it, annoying. It does say that it lasts
1: like twenty hours on a, a ninety-eight watt, watt hour uh, V-mount. So okay. that's a pretty long time. Yeah, but but yeah. still,
0: you're charging another V-mount for this mm-hmm. thing, which costs probably just about as much as the as the light panel itself. Yeah, yeah,
1: easily. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anytime I see stuff like this. Like I felt the same way about the aperture event recently with those uh, pixel bar things. It's like mm-hmm. this is not in my price range. It's not something that I would be considering buying. But it does kind of give me a preview of what five or ten years from now in filmmaking yeah. is going to look like, and that's yep. cool.
0: So yeah, and like you know, what could be possible farther down the line if you had like more bigger versions of this? Yeah. I mean, it seems great for like a studio setup where you could have like this big version of diffusion and a few lights behind it. And you can just you can set the harshness of your light.
1: Yeah. Super easy. Yeah, that is really cool. Like you don't have to carry around a bunch of different frames and, Mm -hmm. you know, and diffusion material and set it all up. It says one thing.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, like you have whatever, like a scrim gym, and you're just like, okay, add some, add some, uh, you know, diffusing material. Nope, not enough. Okay, add some more. And like, you're like, how much Velcro do I need? Yeah.
1: And like maybe in between you're having to take it off the stand and Mm -hmm. stuff to do it. Yeah. So this does seem easier for sure. I mean, if you're
0: doing that all the time, this is probably worth the money.
1: And if you're on big shoots where every minute is costing you however much money, you know, it makes sense. But it's just not something that like you and I are in a position to use for the stuff we do. But
0: I hope someday it is because I think it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. And, you know, first first of a new product, basically. Yeah. Neat stuff. All right. More in the vein of lighting. Mm-hmm. want to talk about some pretty crazy new tiny little baby lights from... Um <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, jeez. Oh, man. You didn't practice this, did
0: you? We're going to go so, with that. So, right. so, yep.
1: I think, I think you got close enough. We're going to go with that.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah. From that company. They make the crane and other things. Yes. And now they make... Uh, a 100 watt light that is, it's like, it's flat and it has like a propeller fan in it and it's a hundred, I already said it's hundred watts, hundred watts, but it's like, just like, you can just like slide it in a bag. It's like six inches by five inches or something like it, that.
1: It looks like a point and shoot camera.
0: Yeah, it does. It's just like the, the strangest looking thing. Like you just have to pull it up in the show notes and it's like, like, a, like a, here's a pocket light, you know, maybe it's not as accurate as like a, you know, a hundred watt Amaran or something like that, but it's super small. It's you know, has a decent SRI, CRI. And, you know, you can slap all your modifiers on it. You can put it in your backpack. Pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Pretty cool and pretty small. Mm-hmm. And then they also had the other one. So that that's the 100-watt. And then they also have the 60-watt, which is the G60. Yep. And that one kind of looks like a little mini cob light.
0: hmm But... But it's smaller. It's like a quarter the size of a cob light, which is nuts. I was shocked at how small this was. Because whenever the Ameren COB-X came out, I'm like, this is the coolest, cutest, tiniest little thing. And it's like six inches by six Mm. inches. And it fits in my bag. And it's perfect. And 60 watts. And I just love it. And then this company comes out and is like, what if we made it even smaller? (laughs) This thing is two and a half inches by four inches by two and a half inches. Yeah, it's wild. It's ridiculous. And so it's like a square. It was two and a half inches by two and a half inches. Mm. And then it's six inches long. Mm-hmm. It's just like the tiniest little baby light. And it has like, you can get, it, it doesn't have a custom, uh, it doesn't have a standard, um what do you call it? Bowen fitting yeah. on the end of it. So you have to like get an adapter if you want to mount Bowen on it, which the Bowen adapter is is what mounts on the stand. Yeah. And so you're like, here's my light stand. I run the adapter on it and then I slap the modifier on one side and the light on the other honestly, side.
1: Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way that works because I, I don't think I'd trust having a big softbox
0: on that light. No. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. The light yeah. just has to support itself. Yeah. But you can also get a tiny little softbox for this and it's like the cutest little baby. <laughs> just like it's, like,
1: it's like a dollhouse softbox. Yep.
0: It's like, <laughs> this is a, uh, you know, one eighth scale version of a light.
1: (laughs) It really is. And both, both of them, I think are cleverly designed. I I really appreciate that they're doing something unique because that's, you know, so many of these products look the same and it's nice to see somebody doing something that's not the same, but especially that 60 watt one, I just think that design is so compelling. Like for one thing, it's white, which like just take my money, but but, I mean, just the way that they've done it, the typography on the, you know, on the logo and stuff and, like, the actual design of the light, I just think is really unique looking and I think it looks really
0: cool. I cannot believe how small this thing is. I know. And, okay, let's let's talk about, like, how, how do you power this thing, which is super cool. One, you can power it over USB-C. Yep. And... It will go to whatever brightness the USB-C PD device you have attached to it. If you have a 60-watt power delivery power source, whether that be an external battery or a wall adapter or whatever, it'll go to 60 watts. Mm -hmm. If you have a 30-watt USB PD, it will go to 30 watts. Yeah. And it'll just, like, use what you have available. So if you're, like, in a pinch, you ran out of whatever, and you got to plug in your power bank into your light, and it only does 20 watts, you can get 20 watts of light. Yeah. That's cool.
1: Yeah, and and super useful because we all have a lot of USB-C devices now, so you're more likely to be able to power it in a pinch.
0: Yeah, that's, man, and I then it, and
1: then it also has um you know a normal AC plug.
0: Right, and that's then that's not USB-C. That's just. Power supply in, mm-hmm. so you would have you could run it on NPF or you know V mount, but you would need to get an adapter to run into USB C, right?
1: Either one, yeah. Although or the, the AC, I guess the connection. the ACN in it's, it's actually a twenty four volt DC, which is an unusual voltage for camera gear. So yep. you'd you'd have a hard time finding an adapter for that. But you can easily get USB C power from an NPF or a V mount battery. So that's probably what you would. Yeah, do. I mean,
0: there's NPF batteries that have USB C PD just built onto them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that would work out too. You just slap it on there and
1: tie it in. And then the 100 watt one, yeah, has those same options, but it also has an optional battery you can get that kind of fits onto the side of it. And that's kind of a cool little deal. You know It's like like right. the battery is just as compact as everything else. Yeah,
0: and that's and it's like built in not built in, but like you just specifically add it. And then they had the forethought of like there's two screw holes on the bottom and one is for, you know, center weighting it without the battery. And then you can screw it on the other one to center weight it when you do have the battery. Yeah. That's that way super, it's never like nice. off balance. Yeah. Just they really thought about that. Mm-hmm. And these are both bicolor. So they're twenty seven hundred to I think 6500k yeah that sounds right so like you have most of you know your temperatures in between i like kind of what you said before but they're basically accurate in some modes maybe they're a little greener but that could just because they're new new lights and mm-hmm. the green diodes kind of to fade first and so you know kind of more longevity out of it that sort of thing
1: i think they have an app to control them so it's not not compatible with the aperture situs link app it's a different company but they they have their right. own app yeah, pretty neat. It seemed like you could use it as a key light in a pinch. I mean, we've used 60 watt lights as key lights many times. Yeah, but, you know, you'd have to put a big soft box on it if you wanted it to be soft. But you could use this as a key light if you needed to.
0: If you're looking for a travel light, I mean, not having to bring like your whole separate light bag with you. I love being able to just stick the Amaranth C O B X just in my in my backpack. I could feel like two of these things in there for yeah. the same amount of space. Pretty sweet. You think this is something you'd get? Mm, not immediately. If this had come out. Three weeks ago, I probably would have bought these instead of the <laughs> instead of the um, aperture because they're even smaller and even cooler. But now that I have the aperture, it's kind of meeting what I need. When I need more power, I grab my, my bigger light. I don't think I need something like this immediately, but if I'm looking for more auxiliary lights, either one of these seem like a pretty good buy.
1: Yeah, more more stuff to use for practicals, you know, or just to have another light in the pinch. You know, yep. if you want to have like a hair light or something. You know, it's like, that's an easy way to just bring an extra light.
0: I think that maybe the biggest disadvantage here is I don't know how good the app is. And if you're all in with Aperture and you have the Sinus Link app, you can like set up your scenes and you can easily bring all your lights up and all your lights down. And that's really handy to be able to just control it all from your phone. And like, I mean, you have basically almost all but one of your lights are Aperture, including Mm -hmm. like the little MCs. Yep. And so you can just, you know, rig out an entire scene.
1: Yeah, that's probably the biggest downside to them for sure. I guess we didn't mention price. The 60-watt one is $200, and the 100-watt is $269. That's just the light. And then if you want the combo kit that has some of the other stuff, like that Bowens adapter and the little cute mini softbox and stuff, I think it's like $250. For the sixty watt combo kit, and I want to say it was like three fifty or three seventy five for the uh, hundred watt combo kit. So you know, not not super cheap. Comparing to the COB, it's a little bit more expensive than that uh, for the sixty watt. But I don't think it's unreasonable. It's just a little
0: high. I mean, honestly, I think that I, I thought they were pretty good pricing. You know, for for what they are, fairly competitive. And just I mean, maybe you're paying a little more for the portability.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. You know, Zhiyun's made other products. They make the gimbals and stuff. And and I mean, I think their stuff's pretty well-respected, but I don't know how many lights they've made, if they've ever made lights. So this is, I think they had some other stuff now that I think about it. I think they make some other lights, but this feels like a new product line for them. And so I'd be inclined to kind of wait a little bit and see what the reliability is like. You know, how do people feel about these in six months or something? But they look really cool.
0: Yeah, they do. I I like them a lot. Okay, so for this next thing. I don't know how much we want to talk about this. You sent me a link to this a little while ago, and so um, are you familiar with the Oscar-nominated movie Triangle of Sadness? <laughs> I'm not
1: familiar with that.
0: Okay, I haven't seen it either. But the you, well—you
1: know that it exists. So you're ahead of me. Yes.
0: So the well-known uh, filter brand Tiffin—I mm-hmm. do know who they are—has released, and I, I don't know how 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 new this is, but it seems to hit the internet recently. Has released their own version of this, but for diffusion. Tell me more. And it's a chart, and it's a triangle. And on one corner is halation, one corner is resolution, and on the other corner is contrast. And they've taken all of their diffusers and modifiers and that sort of thing, and they've plopped them on this thing. So you can try to figure out if you need like Pro Mist or Black Mist or Warm Soft FX or digital diffusion FX or low contrast or black satin or black satin glimmer glass or black diffusion FX. I could just keep going.
1: So for one thing, I didn't know that three quarters of those
0: existed. There are so many <laughs> different types of diffusion and I'm like, look at this. I'm like, okay, halation. I know what that is. That's like where like your light splits and like you get the red fringing around high contrast imaging whenever you're backlighting. Cool. Contrast. Sure. Darker, lighter. Maybe it's like deepening shadows or something or is it but is it affecting contrast negatively or positively? Is it less contrast? I don't know. And then there's, you know, resolution. I guess that's for if you're trying to soften up the image because you're adding diffusion. I guess all these would probably be a reduction of, a reduction of contrast, reduction of, well, so, sharpness
1: sort of, but I don't know. I mean, like like does it like the ultra contrast is in the far corner Surely that does, surely an ultra contrast doesn't remove all the contrast, does yep. it?
0: I can't imagine that it would, but then the low contrast is right next to it, but it's closer to the resolution. Yeah, but not as close as the resolution as soft fx. So I assume resolution is softer. This is very confusing. It really is. And I'm just like, so if I pick the one the black satin one in the middle, am I going to get equal parts contrast, halation and softening?
1: I I feel like what this is is a it's like a scatter plot. And it's comparing them to each other. So it's like if you get the way I read it is like if you like you want a soft image, but you don't want halation, then pick something that is not near the halation side of the triangle. That's that's what I'm assuming that means.
0: But then like they also have this legend over here because each circle on this is a different type of circle, whether it be like a hatch circle or Mm -hmm. whether it's white or yellow or double line. And each of those has a different type of diffusion. (laughs) This like I love charts. And I could stare at this thing for like an hour.
1: <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't already gotten it printed and put on the wall and, you know, just that's li- a, live your life around this chart. That's
0: a pretty good idea. Yeah. So I have spent a lot of time looking at this thing. And I, one, I still don't understand it. And two, I can't decide what the best Tiffin filter is for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the problem, right? Because I, I came across this while I was thinking about filters. And I've kind of been interested in trying like a black Promis filters because it seems like you're filming people. It'd be kind of nice to get something that just like, you know, smooths out wrinkles, takes away some of that sure. digital sharpened, you know, over sharpened effect. Mm-hmm. It's like I want something that gives a, a subtle effect, but not but not like the super stylized, like, you know, touch by an angel nonsense.
0: Right. But for people playing along at home, Black Promist is squarely in the halation corner yeah. of so, this triangle. so that, that may not be the right choice. It's a, It seems like it's not. So you're looking at something to basically soften the image, but without giving it a glow. And so I have a, what's it called? It's by moment. Probably. You have
1: the Cinebloom. Cinebloom. There it yeah. is.
0: Yeah. I have a 10%, 20%. 10%, I have a 10% Cinebloom and that, that definitely blooms. And I would say that is, that is not the same as like a pro mist, yeah. I guess. I would think that it is closer to like a halation effect because it's adding that, you know, soften fringing mm-hmm. around, but it's also doing a lot of softening. Yeah. Almost too much. Like I would want it to soften, but I don't want as much halation, which is kind of what you're describing. Mm -hmm. Maybe something along the lines of a satin filter is what you're looking for.
1: Yeah. Or I mean, you know, even like some of these like soft FX things that are like way more on the resolution side. Because the other thing is that you can get all of these filters in varying powers. Mm -hmm. So like like a ProMist, you can get all the way down to like one eighth, which is pretty low. Like that seems lower than most people use.
0: I guess looking at this chart, anything with a hatch around it is a halation effect, which is going to add that kind of like glowiness or softness around mm-hmm. all the edges. So if you don't want any of that, even though something I've heard that, like the black pro Mists are pretty clean because it's not like you get the softening. But then like that halation effect, which I always thought is something different is not um, like warm or white or glowy it's like a darkening. And so it can right. always add like a contrast around yeah. your subject. So like maybe that is what you want, but yeah, it seems like if you're just trying to soften and you don't want any sort of like glow around your subject, you should aim for a Tiffin filter that doesn't have any halation at all.
1: Yeah, and but I mean, I, I just don't know. Like Black Pro Mist is super popular. A lot of people have that. Yep. And if I hadn't seen this chart, I think I would have just said, I'm going to get like a one eighth Black Pro Mist. So it's just like a very subtle effect, but just a little bit of that. I generally feel like if a lot of people are using something, it's probably a good place to start. Yeah, but now that I see this chart, I'm like, man, I don't know. I've like got so many choices, and kind of doesn't seem like Promist is the the direction I'd be looking to go in. And I'm, I don't know. There's too many filters.
0: It almost seems like the Black Soft FX or the Soft FX might be what you need, but I can't tell what the difference it is. The Black Soft FX is closer to contrast. Well, they're both squarely in the resolution corner. So mm-hmm. does it add contrast or does it remove contrast?
1: <laughs> this is a great question. Mm-hmm. I just I do feel like now that I know some of these exist, I might pick a few that I'm interested in, to like to you know, go watch some YouTube reviews of them or something and, and try and see what what they actually look like. I think that's probably the right way to do it. I don't know. There's a lot here.
0: This chart says, this graphic represents distinctive variances and subtle differences across Tiffin's large range of diffusion filters. But how does it do both? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Each circle represents an average of that filter's particular effect. Very confusing. This will be linked in the show notes. I've gone back and forth whether or not I should link it at all because some of our listeners may look at this and then never stop looking at it. They'll just be drawn in. Yeah, days will pass.
1: We'll have to snap our fingers at the beginning of the next episode to break them out of it. Yeah, that's what's going to have yep. to
0: happen. So it'll just be a week, and then they'll be out of it.
1: Man, there's some there's some pretty funny names on these filters though, mm-hmm. like HDTV slash VFX. There's an
0: HDTV VFX one. Where is yeah,
1: that? Yeah, that's that's a sixth from the bottom on the list on the left. I'm so like a, H for... HDTV. Like what year is it? Come on, in the very the very last one on the list on the left. I think that's supposed to be smoke. But instead of a K, they've got a QU.
0: Oh, smoké, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much fancier. Yes. I think you need this black pearlescent filter, which is so? closer to Resolution Soft, but it is still on the side of Hellation.
1: It's a pretty cool name, too.
0: Yep, this It's too much. It's too much. Tiffin has too many filters. None of us can understand it. This chart doesn't help. And uh, just good luck out there.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad we're able to provide people with such uh, sage advice on this podcast. Good luck out there.
0: Yeah. It's, it reminds me of like color grading and stuff. And like when, if, when you spend a lot of time like looking at footage or doing grades, it's like you can you can basically tell the difference between like, OK, here's my offset and I'm going to take my green. And I'm going to increase it by 0.01. Mm hmm. Yeah, I can totally tell that made a huge difference. And it's like, it didn't really make a huge difference, but like you can you can see it. And like, it's just like the little tweaks kind of get you there. Or like on one of the shoots we were doing, the director guy was like, I can see reflection of light right there. And I'm like, staring at the monitor looking for the thing that he saw like i don't i don't see it i don't see it i don't see it. oh how in the world did he and it's like it's a very practiced skill yeah it's a practiced skill and it's it's and i feel like it's the same thing with diffusion and like you have to be like so into exactly like what the edges of all this lit stuff look like and like what it looks like on screen and you have to so you know like do I need like a black pro mist or a black satin or this contrast filter or a schmoche filter? And it's like you have to then be able to have all of these filters and you have to try all of them mm-hmm. and use them all enough to like know the difference. Impossible. Like who's I, gonna do that? Who's maybe spend all the time? Maybe people that work at Tiff and maybe that's the problem. Was, like the people who are designing these filters or they're like they're staring through one for the longest time and they're like, man, I just need like I just need like ten percent more elation. Just like, this, just like this much more. Well, we're just going to have to make a new well, line. We've got to make a new one. That's it. Yep. That's it. We're doing it. And this is going to be black. <laughs> and we need a warm one because Tim loves the warm ones. Yep. I won't shut yep. up about it. I don't know. It was just, I just assume. And then they send out, like, people are going to love it. They've been clamoring in the wings for these new filters. And then none of us know what they do.
1: I, I am curious if there's somebody out here who has. Tons of these filters and knows when to employ each one.
0: There's got to be that one guy. And maybe, maybe what we both need to do is find the camera filter podcast. (laughs) Slightly more specific than the Camera Gear Podcast. <laughs> they're
1: they're probably not <laughs> releasing weekly episodes. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I bet like
0: you could go pretty deep. I mean, one per filter, one episode per filter. so I'm saying. They probably have like 200 episodes. No, that's uh, that's true. We just need to find this podcast. Right. Maybe they can guest that's or a, something. That's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Okay, <laughs> Let's do that. all right. All you camera filter <laughs> <laughs> find well,
1: us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod.
0: Yeah, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> okay. What do we got next? This here? is all you. All right. Talk to me about this new monitor. Yeah. So, have we talked about this already?
1: No, we haven't talked about it yet. Okay. So we, we talked a few weeks ago about the small HD monitor because we were frustrated for various reasons. One of the reasons was that we did a shoot and you didn't have the right cable and you ended up buying a cable and taking a grinder to it to try and make it plug in.
0: Oh, yeah. You remember that? I definitely did that.
1: Yeah, that definitely happened. It still didn't work after you did that, I don't think. <laughs> But
0: <laughs> it worked for a while until it stopped working yeah. for
1: unknown reasons. Yes. Anyway, we both had the same small HD focus monitor for quite a while, and personally, I feel like my frustration with it has just slowly grown over time. I really liked it when I got it, and then as time went on, it just started. I started noticing all the rough edges of it, and one of those rough edges is the resolution because it's only 720p. So that's that's its first problem. It doesn't have any good ways to externally power it. You only have an NPF battery, which is is great if you're just using it, you know, on top of your camera, but if you're using it on a rig, it's like, I don't really want to like have an extra NPF on here. So that's a little annoying. It also has the issue of of requiring this special HDMI cable, uh, which has gotten more and more annoying. You know, it's like, I want to be able to use a right angle HDMI cable, but I can't get a right angle HDMI cable with this thing. And so it's just like all these little little paper cuts of using it. And it just kind of made me wonder, you know, is there something better out there? And would I be happier with a different monitor? Right. So I started doing some research, found a lot of different options. Seems like monitors have gotten a lot better since then. And the one that I settled on was made by Portkeys. And it's the Portkeys PT6. And so I thought I would kind of give like a short review of that.
0: So what are what were the, the main things you were looking for in a new monitor?
1: So things I wanted, one was lightweight. So I right. wanted something small and lightweight. That was very important to me because the camera rig's heavy enough. I don't want to add extra weight. And I want it to be compact. You know, I don't want this huge bulky thing on top of the camera. Right. I also wanted 1080p.
0: Okay, yeah, the small HD is 720. mm -hmm. You can definitely tell the difference. Feels
1: like table stakes at this point. I ideally wanted an HDMI out. Okay, Mo- yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for, for like running into a deck or something, mm-hmm. you know, I'll like give you a way to do that.
0: Or into a Ninja, you could have two monitors for oh, some reason. Yeah, there
1: you go. And I guess that's ma- mostly it. I, I really wanted external power options, but that, that wasn't critical, I guess.
0: What about full-size HDMI?
1: Definitely wanted that. Yeah, that, I guess that was the other thing, is that I wanted to be able to use a standard HDMI cable so that I could get a right-angle cable or coiled cable or, you know, whatever.
0: This whole micro HDMI garbage that's on the small HD, I can't stand it. It's ridiculous. Why? You have like this whole monitor, it's whole purpose. Why would you put micro HDMI on it? Seriously.
1: It doesn't make any sense. <sighs> yeah. So I was through with all that. This PT6 seems like it meets all of those, you know, all those requirements. So it has 1080p. It's got a 5.2 inch screen, which is a little bit bigger actually than the small HD. I think that one's only five inches. And the bezels are way smaller. I mean, this thing's like the size of a normal cell phone
0: now. It's like a 16 by 9 screen as well, right?
1: Yeah, it is. Yep okay and it's a really nice size tiny bezels it's not quite as bright as the uh as the small hd was so the small hd was 800 nits this one okay. is 600
0: yeah that's a shame
1: so, uh, yeah it's a little bit dimmer but i, I felt like that was okay i mean i'll see how it goes i haven't mm-hmm. done too much shooting outside with it yet um it's like the
0: biggest thing for me when i was looking for an external monitor originally was the back of the monitor on the camera can get you know only so bright. Mm -hmm. So I want the monitor to be able to be bigger and brighter than the monitor that I have.
1: When I was thinking about my shoots, most of the time I'm indoors. And so I thought I'm going to get something that's good for that. And if it turns out that I'm spending a lot of time outside shooting, they make, they make thousand nit monitors. They make 2000 nit monitors. And if I need to buy something special for those shoots, then I'll do that. But I felt like this one was better for my needs for like my 90% use case.
0: 2,000 this would be nuts.
1: They, they make them. <laughs> that would be so bright.
0: <laughs> Do you think this is bigger or smaller than my current cell phone?
1: I think it's smaller than your current cell phone.
0: Whoa. you have
1: a 12 Pro Max. Yes. I think it's smaller than that because it's not all that much bigger than my phone, and I have a non-Max. Okay. So. Okay. It's a, It's probably around the size of that your phone. That feels that feels right. The small yeah. HD is absurdly big for what it is. It really is. Yeah. So I like how small this thing is. It does have that full size HDMI in and out, which is nice. which is great. I've I've already made use of that. Got a right angle HDMI on both sides. Fits on there good. What did you run the out to? Oh, well, I haven't run an out oh. an out to anything yet. Okay. But I just mean, on you know, from my camera to the monitor, I've got a right angle plug on both ends, which makes just Perfect. makes the whole thing more compact.
0: Man, probably real secure too with those full-size HDMI mm-hmm. ports. Yeah, super, uh. super nice. Okay, great. How are you powering it? And
1: I'm powering it with a, a DC barrel jack, so it can take 7 to 24 volts, which is a, a really nice range.
0: All right, so if you have a 24-volt run into your new Zhuin light, you could also run 24 volts this <laughs> yeah, monitor. Per- perfect. Just share the power source. Yeah,
1: just share the power. You can power it from an NPF or an L a Canon LPE6 battery. So oh,
0: I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah, it's a cool little like combo battery bay thing. So but, maybe you're shooting on a Canon. Mm-hmm. and you have a full-size HDMI port and LPE6 battery on your monitor, yeah, yeah. but then you have a micro HDMI port on yeah. your camera because Canon can't get with the times and put full-size HDMI ports on their cameras. Not that you're mad or anything. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. Whatever. Yeah. You could also power it off a USB-A. It's
1: just like... There's just tons of options on this thing. I love love how many options there are.
0: But USB-A is usually only like 5 volts. Yeah.
1: it? Does can, it, it can run on that somehow. It doesn't
0: like drop the nits or something like put it in a weird mode not that i've noticed maybe mm. it maybe it does but i haven't seen that i wouldn't do it That yeah. feels weird
1: i like the dc barrel option because it's a you know it's a small cable i don't have a battery on the back of it so yeah you're not nice. gonna like
0: torque it in a weird way yeah i would probably do that as well so let me
1: tell you the real reason that i went with this monitor though and that is that you know it's got all the normal normal assist features you know you can apply a lot you can do false color you can do you know all that kind of things you can do focus peaking, which okay. you know we, okay. we really like for for shooting with manual focus and video. Yep. But you can customize the focus peaking so that it doesn't peak across the entire frame.
0: Why is that? Why is that useful? So
1: that's useful because you know if I'm shooting with my camera and I've got the the screen on the back closed, you know I want my shutter speed, aperture, I want all the info display on the HDMI mm-hmm. with all those settings terrible whenever you have peaking on because everything's like green or red or whatever your peaking color is. And it just looks bad. It's kind of hard to read. Oh yeah,
0: all the the UI elements are in focus. And so they're all peaking like crazy.
1: Exactly. Oh, it's the worst. And so with
0: this one, you can set kind of like a smaller inset
1: rectangle on the screen of where you want it to peak. And so because all those things are on the edges, you can just kind of like cut those out of your peaking and have it only peak on the inside.
0: That's really nice. That reminds me a lot of like what the Sony camera newer Sony stuff is doing where they're like black barring a 16 by nine frame and then sticking the information in the black. Yeah. Instead of like covering up your your scene with it. It reminds me of that, which kind of wish more camera people doing Mm -hmm. that. That's pretty neat. Hint hint Fuji. But
1: (laughs) that that feature alone like It just makes the whole thing feel more modern, you know? So I've got this, I've got this monitor that's already sharper than the one I had. And then now I don't have to have all my, you know, shutter speed and all those Mm -hmm. those things glowing all weird when I'm doing peaking. It just, it feels more polished and and much nicer.
0: I like Uh, it. Really, that's really cool.
1: Another cool thing about this is, you know, it has that HDMI out, so you can run to a Teradek or something. And what I hadn't really considered is that, you know, you can load LUTs on this thing, you know, like you can, you can load them onto internal memory on the monitor and then select your LUT that goes with whatever you're shooting. So, yeah. you know, F-Log nice, 2, nice load, load the LUT. But because it has an HDMI out, you can apply that LUT and then have that be the feed that you send to your Deck.
0: Oh, cool. So you can record in whatever log profile you need, mm-hmm. but then broadcast in a, another. Or yeah. you could even capture, capture in a wider dynamic range if you had to, and then have it conform down and send yeah. out to yeah whatever neat. you need
1: to do. And, and this thing kind of has some live streaming type features to it. And so I think you can send that LUT output, but not have it send like the peaking and whatever else you're using. So if you've got a director looking at the monitor, you know, you as the camera operator know what color profile you're shooting in. So you know what LUT you need to apply and you can just send that basically as a clean feed out to the Teradek. And so the director's going to see exactly what that would look like. I just think that's that's a neat feature.
0: Yeah, that's pretty great. I think what we've done before is we're essentially splitting it off of the thing or doing, I guess we did a pass through where the monitor had an output. That's nice though. It's nice mm-hmm. that you can just send it out clean. Did, I don't even know if the Shinobis do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, the Shinobis don't have an HDMI output.
0: Isn't But isn't that the, what we uh, use for the...
1: Sorry. So the five inch Shinobi does not have an HDMI output. Okay. The seven inch, which is what we've used as director monitors, do have a, an HDMI
0: output. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how did we rig up Oh, we rigged those up on uh ninjas. That's why we had an output. Yeah. But the ninja didn't give a clean feed? No, out? no,
1: it doesn't give a clean As far as I know, the ninja does not give a clean yeah. feed. Yeah. I can't remember now. It's either that it doesn't give a clean feed or you can't apply the lot. I think that might be the trade-off. It's like you can't you can't get both or something and so right. yeah. This this is a nice solution. Or like that. you
0: can't send out a separate feed basically. It's like you want on the ninja to have, you know, all your stuff in there to see like what you're shooting, but Yeah then you also, like, you couldn't, you whatever you send out is what you send out, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Or whatever you're looking at. This seems better in those ways. Yeah, a lot of neat features for a monitor. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Now, a few things I didn't like as much. The touch UI is not quite as good as what was on the small HD, so, you know, it just seems like changing those settings and stuff just wasn't quite as reliable, quite as easy, It also doesn't seem like you can set presets the same way you can on the small HD. So on the small HD, you can set a bunch of different pages and like swipe between them.
0: I've always felt that that UI was clunky and obnoxious.
1: Yeah, it kind of is. And honestly, for me, what I have found is that I want to set stuff up one time and then it's not like I really want like three different presets. You know, I may occasionally want to turn a feature on or off, Mm -hmm. you know, but which which you can do on this pretty easily. But I don't really need a bunch of different presets. So it doesn't bother me much. But if if you're someone that uses presets, that would bother you. The other thing is that uh, the boot up time is pretty slow. So I like that it has a physical power switch. The the small HD, it's like a button you hold down. I hate power buttons that you hold down. So you never know how long to hold it for. Oh,
0: it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And with this one, it's a clicky switch. So you click it on and it slides, you know, like into the on position and it's on. Nice. But nothing lights up on the monitor for like 10 seconds. And then finally it boots up and you've got it. And so you sort of know that that's how it works because the first time you try and turn that thing on, you think like, oh, I didn't power it right. It's not, not turning on.
0: Well, like if, if it was a hold situation, then you would be like, Oh, I maybe I mispressed, and then you like let go and you hold again, mm-hmm. but then you start turning it off, and that's a whole nightmare. But yeah. So nice it's a positive click interface, positive interface or whatever, but Did you first think it was broken whenever you tried to turn it on? Well,
1: no, I would read a review that said that, that, so I kind of knew to wait. But it's just kind of like a weird thing to get used to. It it, it takes longer to boot up than you would think it would.
0: Interesting. I wonder why. Yeah, I don't know.
1: But pretty cool. Also, not that expensive. So I paid $170 for it. That's not terrible. When when you and I bought the small HD years ago, I got a refurbished one from B&H, and that was $330. No. (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs)
0: Yeah
1: so this is like half the price new and and in my opinion significantly better so these things have come a long way i
0: don't think i paid that much for my small hd Uh, i remember it was like it was like on sale or something and then like i i don't know there's no way i paid that much
1: you got yours after i did so you probably paid less but i bet you paid more than 170
0: oh here we go shipments on the way Uh, from, from I bought it it from small HD Oh, uh, from the man himself. All right. I can view my order. Let's do that. And I paid, really? I paid $199.
1: Ah, barely, barely over. Man. I'm just saying though, man, that was
0: that expensive. I think
1: think this is better for $170.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah. Better for $170. Let
1: me, let me tell you the other thing that I was looking at in case you're interested in this. So if you're going to buy one of these, the other one I would look at is the OC, which is O-S-E-E T5 Plus. There's some interesting things about that one. For one thing, it's brighter. I think it might be a thousand nits, if I recall correctly. Five inch screen, 1080p, all that. But what makes this one really unique is that instead of having a touchscreen, it has a little clicky joystick thing on one side. It's kind of pros and cons, right? Like touchscreens can be nice, but Honestly, for me, I think that UI is maybe a little bit better. Like, I feel like if I'm trying to just like switch between screens or something, having like a little physical joystick to press, that kind of sounds nice. And it got really good reviews in terms of like the UI and the functionality and stuff. I think it's a good monitor. $145. Yeah, it's cheaper too. It
0: says OC in huge white impact font on the (laughs) side of it.
1: It does. And I would be gaff taping that. About two minutes after opening the package.
0: Wow. That is kind of right. <laughs> right. 400. P- okay. All right. Cool. It's like it's 10 bit monitor. It's got a sideways NPF slot on it. That's interesting. Yeah. Same as you can mount version. it vertically with the screw hole. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. Yeah. This seems like a neat little deal. Yeah.
1: So that's a good option too. I went with the port keys one because I, I want, I really wanted that customized peaking where you could make the uh, peaking field smaller. And honestly, to me, the port keys looked like it was better constructed. Like, it
0: just didn't look as cheap, I guess. This one's bigger, 5.5 inches. Mm, Yeah. I don't know.
1: I think those are two good options for under $200. I think they're both probably really good. And I'm really happy with the one I got.
0: This one, you can put an MPF or an LP6 on. All right. That's cool. Yeah.
1: That seems like a common new feature. A lot of them do
0: that. HDMI 1.4. What is this? (laughs) 2018. What kind of filthy casual? Golly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool, yeah. cool options for uh, for monitors. Nice to see those things under two hundred bucks for all your rigging needs. I yeah. like
1: it. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with it. I I like using a monitor, and I feel like the features that this one gives me makes me more likely to use a monitor than I was before because it doesn't have a lot of the problems I thought the small HD had.
0: Yeah, and like that small HD monitor that we have, they don't make that anymore. Like you can't buy it, and I don't know what they currently have that. Rep- places it they, they have the action 5 which is 330 dollars. they have the action
1: 5 and it i'm not interested in that one it, it solves some of the problems like it has full-size hdmi but they really dumbed down the interface and it's missing a lot of useful features like i don't think it has false color i don't think it has a vector scope and there's just things like that where like, why does it not have those things you know it's they, they really kind of nerfed it
0: they have the, um, the Cine 5. Oh, yeah. That, what was that one? Like $1,400? $1, it's $1,600, Daniel. Ridiculous. Golly. Ridiculous. $1,400. Yeah. They have OLED 4K. I'm already too deep into this. Oh, they're, wow. Reference monitor up $12,000. That is not an on-camera monitor. <laughs>
1: abort, abort. The other one from like a big name brand that I would look at is the Atomos Shinobi. That one is $300. It goes up to 1,000 nits. It's a fine monitor. We we've used one a few times.
0: Yeah, I've been relatively happy with them. Yeah. I also don't love the, um, the Atomos in, in, interface.
1: Yeah, I fi- I have a hard time using their interface, and I always feel like it's missing settings I wanted to have. So, not a huge fan of that one. I I really didn't give it much of a look when I was looking.
0: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. All right, cool. What uh, what else do we have on the topic list, Daniel? I have this item down here called. Bonus topic, Lucas reviews every film simulation on Fuji.
1: I don't think people want to hear about every film simulation on Fuji right now. Daniel,
0: I imagine going through <laughs> the list from top to bottom, and then I'm going to tell you what I think about every single one.
1: And it's only going to take three hours. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's it's a small topic
1: we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to release a special episode of this podcast oh my
0: gosh can that be the holiday episode
1: (laughs) I do like that idea all right
0: we're gonna I I guess I guess we'll save that one yeah I think
1: we might have to punt on that one for tonight all
0: right bonus bonus episode (laughs) special special edition Russ
1: we can we can have that as a member special okay for the membership program we definitely have Yep.
0: perfect (laughs) subscribe yeah
1: (laughs) That's it for the show today. Thanks for listening. And we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.